This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, uh, for joining us for 30 minutes of your precious time as we confront the issues in America. And today we will talk once again about the politics of policing with our police analyst, Mr. Gary McElhenney, former president of the Baltimore Fraternal Order of Police Union and former Maryland police chief. Gary, welcome. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for being on again. So we police again, once again, they're not, uh, not um, dominating the news. And uh, in two ways, we had the death of Billy Evans, the Capitol police officer who was run down right outside the Capitol. And we have the trial, the ongoing trial of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer accused of killing George Floyd. And this trial is probably the most watched I can remember since the O.J. Simpson murder trial back in the 90s, and some of the testimony by eyewitnesses has been riveting. But the thing that really struck me was the testimony of the eight Minneapolis police officers, including the chief, who've come out and said Chauvin violated police policies, you know, Traditionally, doctors don't criticize doctors, lawyers don't criticize lawyers, reporters don't criticize lawyers. How damning is that testimony? Well, I think, you know, I put myself in the in the seats of the jurors. I think it's it's pretty damning. I mean, you 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 judge police officers' actions by what their peers in a similar situation would do. And uh, I think the testimony so far has been um, the average police officer in that situation would not have done what that particular police officer chose to do that day. Yeah. And do you think uh, there's a lot of political pressure on the department to have these people come forward? I mean, I think the George Floyd uh, death has been an amazing impact on American society. I think there's an ultra sensitive feel for how people uh, treat black Americans from advertisers to hiring managers. Do you think there's some political pressure for these police officers to come forward and testify against him? You know, it, it really the higher in rank you are the more political pressure you're going to get. Um, mm-hmm. I think so. When you see the chief testifying at a trial, um, yeah, I think there's political pressure there for the chief to step in. You know, he's got a difficult balancing act to try to reach. He's got a, a police force that he's trying to motivate every day um, to go out there and do a job for the citizens of that city who deserve quality policing in order to be safe. And, uh, He's got to balance that with doing the right thing, in his opinion, um, regarding this officer's trial. So, you know, this is a little different trial, Jerry. I mean, people across the country, they saw this video. They made judgments based on whatever they saw in the evening news. And that goes for police officers across the country, too. So I think it's um, I think it's a very difficult hurdle for the defense to overcome. And uh, when you have ranking file police officers in particular, I don't pay much attention to to the leadership that might come in and pontificate what they might have done. It's been years since most of them have been on the street. But um when you have rank and file officers come in and trainers come in and say, nah, this is not this is not how it's supposed to be done. 
I think that has an impact on the jury. Yeah. And you went through it. You were around for the Rodney King trial, and you mentioned videos, and that was probably the first video, um, graphic yeah. video of police officers beating up a, a suspect. And um, those officers were eventually acquitted. Uh, big riots in L.A. over that. Do you think if Chauvin gets acquitted, that uh, we see those riots across America? Well, obviously, I surely hope not. I don't know. You know, we, we got to let the system work. This is the system. It's the system for, for everybody, and as it should be. Um, no one should be treated outside the judicial system that we've developed in this country. So people need to respect uh, the system itself and whatever decision comes out. But um, I think there are people that... that I don't want to say benefit, but there are people that, that want to see that kind of activity occur in this country. And yeah. um, I would not be surprised at all to see disturbances. Um, and I know for a fact that police departments are planning for it. Right. So if you're if you're in a major city um, and you have not begun planning for the results of this trial already, not waiting until the end, if you have not begun your planning right now, um, you're really derelict in your duty. Yeah. Uh, because you need to be ready. So you and I were uh, in Baltimore when the Freddie Gray uh, incident happened, and we talked about that. His death happened, and uh, we talked about this, I guess, the last time you were on the show. Uh, Freddie Day Gray died in, in the back of a police wagon. He was shackled in his hands and his feet and broke his neck on the ride. Six officers, I believe it was six, was, uh, were prosecuted yeah. and eventually acquitted. Um, and that resulted in the police department, I want to say, not doing its job. A lot of officers saying, hey, if we're going to get prosecuted for doing our job, we're not going to do our job. And you and I were in the prison system when we saw the number of arrests drop. I want to say it went from like 35,000 to 20,000 or 50,000 to 20,000. Do American police officers feel like they're on trial too? And uh, what do you think has been the impact on the streets of this trial? Well, I think the impact first, you know, I'll address the last part first, the, the impact on the streets has been devastating. You've seen crime go up in major cities across the country, particularly violent crime. Uh, criminals are emboldened now because of the rhetoric uh, from elected officials, which has been demonizing police departments now mm -hmm. um, and, and individual police officers uh, for a significant period of time. And, you know, cops are human beings, right? You, yeah. You, they, listen, they get into this job um, partly for the spirit of service, mm -hmm. but um, a lot of it's about the, the spirit of adventure. Mm -hmm. I mean, th as a young cop, I, there's, there's nothing better than chasing a guy down the alley who just committed a crime, <laughs> right? And catch yeah, yeah. And that's catch television him. stuff, right? I, I mean, yeah, that's that, 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 Yeah, but when you're, you know, you're a cop in Baltimore, you're running down alleys, you're chasing people down streets. That's what you do. People don't give up, right? They don't. They don't just say, "Hey, yeah, you, know, you yeah. got me." Okay, yeah, and they're yeah. going to struggle a little bit, and they're going to fight. Yeah. For the most part, it's yeah. it's you know, deal. You can deal with it. It's yeah. just not wanting to be put in handcuffs. But you know, you, you join a police department because you want to arrest bad guys. Yeah. Okay, and if you take that away, you make me start feeling for my security, the security of my family, my freedom. My, you know, yeah. you, you're talking about locking me up. You, yeah. you talk about taking away my constitutional rights. Um, then it's human nature. You're just going to sit there because I like to say policing is the ultimate in self-employment. I mean, you can ride in that in that police car all day long with your head on a swivel 
looking to get involved in stuff. And right. with that comes extra scrutiny and a little bit of headache, no matter how yeah. well you do the job. Or you yeah. can walk down, or you can drive down that street or walk down that street with blinders on. Yeah. And in eight hours, go home and go to your kid's baseball game. Yeah. And it's kind right. of interesting. Yeah. That, that's kind of a nice segue into this uh, Billy Evans situation. Uh, Billy Evans was killed. Capitol Police officer uh, man came through, uh, tried to break the barriers and ran him over. And another officer was injured. Uh, what's it like when a, a force, a police force, you loses an officer? You buried a lot of guys in Baltimore. What's that feeling like? It, it's devastating. It's, um, I tell you, it, it, because we're, we're so close to our families and so close to each other. Um, and we see these deaths when a police officer gets killed, we, we see ourselves, mm-hmm. right? If you mm-hmm. know, here's, here's a guy, um, every guy, every officer on that force, male or female sees themselves, you know, people that work that particular post. And, um, when you see yourself and say that could have been me very easily, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that really brings it home. Mm-hmm. And and then you throw in on top of this now, they have to deal with the politics of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um it's hard. They don't have time to grieve. You don't you know, as a police officer, you you you, don't, you can't stop working. Yeah. Um, you gotta go back on that post. There's somebody on that post where he was killed this morning. Yeah. There's 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 gonna be and there's gonna be somebody on that post tonight. Yeah. And um they got to go out there and keep doing the job. And that job in particular now um, is very, is very difficult because you're, they're trying to balance access with security. Right. And the two don't go together very easily. And it's kind of interesting because you're in Baltimore and you're about a half hour away from the Capitol and you kind of get a balcony seat for what's going on there. And I worked in the Capitol and it was kind of interesting. And we looked at these Capitol police officers, not as regular police officers. We did. We, they didn't seem to have the danger that you would have driving down the street of Baltimore. Yeah. And I remember seeing a lot standing around, just standing around for eight hours, keeping an eye on things. But this job has gotten really dangerous over the last couple of months. We had the Capitol raid where the Capitol officer was shot. Of course, all the Capitol officers, you know, having to get, get in gear and do that. And we had, I guess, many years ago, the Puerto Rican nationalists came in and shot up the House of Representatives. Uh, we had the incident back in, I say, 98, 99, where yeah. the, the guy got in and shot the two officers. So this job is, is, as you say, getting a lot more dangerous. And I think the recent reports is saying they don't have the staffing to do what they need to do now. And... Um, uh, I think every time anybody's examined a, a police department, and I think I remember this happened in Baltimore, hey, we don't have enough guys. We don't have enough guys. And that seems to be the same case all around. Do you see that happening with the Capitol Police, too? I do. I think independent analysts have said they need more police officers to do their job and, and to do it properly. But, you know, again, the politics comes in, right? So, you know, police departments, budgets, what's the first thing to go? It's the, it's the hiring budget. It's the training budget. That's the first thing that go because the rest of the cost in a police department, I've managed large police departments, it's, you know, 85% of your budget's going to be in personnel cost. Yeah. So when you, when they start cutting, they're going to cut bodies yeah. and you can't flick a switch now and hire. And, yeah. and particularly in this day, so the, the time you decide you're going to start a hiring, and all that's entailed with that, you're probably a year from putting your first body um, in a police car. 
So, yeah. you know, you just can't flick that switch and, and magically make people appear. And layer on top of that, the demonizing of policing in this country. Right. Where are you going to find it? Yeah. 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 There's definitely, and we, we saw it in the prison system where correctional officers just didn't want to be correctional officers. I mean, that demonizing had impacted directly the hiring of those, um, those officers. DSC, uh, the Capitol Police job becoming much more dangerous these days? Absolutely. Any job where you have a uniform on that says police and you're public facing like they are, uh, absolutely. They're, they're, on, they're on edge and I don't blame them. Um, and they're going to be on edge for a while. And, you know, now we have elected officials making decisions about fencing and access and it's the people's house and you know, those type of things. And that's a hard, that's a hard thing to do. I, I can remember post 9-11 when I was running uh, security, you know, chief of police at BWI airport. Um, you know, we needed to maintain access, but we meet, needed to maintain security. And when you're public facing like that, um, that's a difficult balance. And and it is kind of interesting because I, I you know, I worked in the Capitol and, and I used to get offended by the fencing and the check-in when you came in every day because it was the people's house. At one point, you were able to park in front of the Capitol, you, you know. <laughs> yep. I mean, you you drive right up and walk in the front door. Um, and that's sad. I mean, but that's that's where we are today. Um, when that incident happened, I, I you know, knowing the, the way they work, I was kind of blown back by the criticism that came to the leadership at the time. I, I just don't know. I remember covering Hurricane Katrina thinking, you know, what do you do when a hurricane hits? And in this same instance, um, I, what could they have done when thousands of people rush in the front door? Did you feel they got criticized a little too harshly? Uh, yeah, I think leadership did. Um, yeah, I think the facts will come out. There's going to be many investigations. Yeah. Um, I just hope they're not tinged with, you know, partisan fighting. But these are these are seasoned police chiefs um, and command staff that that know what it takes to protect that building, uh, yeah. particularly post 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, but I can honestly say I don't think, you know, you, you, you test these exercises, you do tabletops, you do scenarios um, like we always do. And I, I can almost guarantee they never did one um, where a mob of U.S. citizens was attacking the Capitol. They might have tested for an anthrax scare, right, or a dirty bomb or, or another, God forbid, another plane or some type of, you know, indirect attack on the Capitol. I guarantee they've done those exercises, mm -hmm. but I would, I'd be hard pressed to think they um, actually did an exercise where thousands of people, U.S. citizens, stormed the Capitol. And there was a question about preparation. Um, you know, they were saying, well, if this was a Black Lives Matter rally, they'd have been all circling the area in this case. Um, do you think that's true or do you think that um, they just didn't think that rally was going to be a, a spark as it was? I think they underestimated um, the, the intent of the protesters mm -hmm. and, and the, the idea of mob mentality, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't take... Um, a whole lot of people to get the entire mob because most of those people there were doing it for the, for the selfie opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. yeah you call them, hey, let's go to the Capitol. Let's, let's, you know, let's sit in house chambers or Senate chambers and take a picture of ourselves. Yes. This has not been a difficult investigation for the FBI to conduct. We just look how many people have been charged criminally 
I mean, the mm-hmm. evidence is the evidence is on the internet um, <laughs> every day. If these were bona fide, um, you know, criminals, they'd have probably done a better job of concealing themselves. Yeah, yeah, they weren't scholarship candidates <laughs> by any any means. I, I don't, you know. I'd yeah, you put horns on your you put horns on your head. You're pretty easy to pick up. <laughs> and that's, you stare that's, into that's, the that's, camera with a, with the with the uh, the uh, you know the podium. <laughs> that's an easy lineup. It'd be tough to come up with with five other people for that lineup. <laughs> well, one of the things that's coming out of that is is kind of interesting, and we dealt with it in the Maryland prison system, and is that facial recognition and. Um, you know, the ACLU and a lot of the groups have come out against the use of that. But you've seen that as a benefit. I mean, I've seen it as a benefit as we've done that. Tell us a little bit about how that works. It's a tool. It's not, you know, it's not that the system does a hit on a facial recognition um, request and then you automatically go get an arrest warrant and run out and find the person, right? It's a tool. It's something that, you know, points you in the right direction, nails, you know, narrows down the, the subject pool, if you will, right? So it's it's one of those tools that I think is is very valuable to law enforcement. This case proves it. Um, there, there's no way they could have started narrowing down the suspect from the thousands of people that they had um, without some type of tool that would allow them to say, you know, okay, it's it's this guy. It might be this guy, but it's not these hundred guys. Right. And and I've sat in on a on a, an example of that. And so what it does is it it you know, the, the question is, you know, do we put people's driver's license in there? And, and right, what right. it's really compiled of is a driver's license and arrests, mugshots kind of thing. And uh, that's the question. Are people suspects because we're using this thing? But the thing that's fascinating is it, it takes that picture and people call it, um, you know, an electronic lineup when it really isn't. I mean, it, yeah. it basically zeroes in on say six or eight people and doesn't distinguish black, white, male, female. It just says these eight people fit this, 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 this picture. And, um, tell us a little bit. I mean, there's actually a lot of law enforcement standards that go on with using that system and using it to arrest somebody. Yeah, so it, it, it's not an immediate probable cause to arrest somebody. Like like you said, you know, you get, uh, you're trying to identify somebody. It might give you six or seven possibles. Um, you know, then you can, then maybe you can run fingerprints off that. Maybe you can run, uh, do some GPS work on somebody's cell phone to find out if they were in the area. Um, it's going to exclude people real quick. You know, the guy from, Colorado who has is a you know whatever an attorney or somebody who has was never on the east coast right um you can run it against plane manifest you can run it against toll records you can run it against tag readers i mean there's so many opportunities to to narrow that list down to a single person and then you apply for a judicial warrant and then it's reviewed by the court before anybody's even and there's also, I mean, you have to go through, I think, training to even use it. Right. And every use is documented. So if the Hartford County Sheriff's Office, you know, uses it, it's there. It's it's a record of, yeah, they used it and this is how they used it and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's how you, that's how you, you know, keep an eye on, make sure no one's abusing the system. Um, there's a record of every time someone enters in the system, what they're looking for, who they're yeah. looking for. Oh, yeah. Um, and that system's maintained and, and that information is accessible to 
you know, the powers that be that want to make sure the system's not being abused. And again, we've had some scholarship candidates that have used it to look up their girlfriend's boyfriend. And, <laughs> and they get caught. They get caught yeah, because yeah, the they, checks they, and balance are in place. Right. You, you Listen, with any system like that, you have to make sure that you have other systems on top of it that can make sure that no one's abusing the system. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, again, it, it in the end, it's there to make people more safe. And um, that that seems to be the focus and really the bottom line of that system. Would you agree? I'd absolutely agree. I, I think it's a critical system. And ironically, because it, it's politics, right? We're, we're not hearing much right now about people wanting to take away that system. Well, we saw it actually really benefit in the um, the shooting at the Capitol newspaper. So the guy walks in there. I think he ended up killing four or five yeah. people. Um, they couldn't identify him, and they used the system. And within a couple hours, they identified him. And uh, so that was a that was a time when that really worked critically and quickly to help the uh, police officers. I think was there was accusations uh, regarding that that he had actually partially removed fingerprints. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's um, right. one, I remember that. Yeah, I remember. So, that. right. So, you know, somebody's intent on not being discovered. But nowadays, I mean, listen, we have, you know, the ability to you know, take DNA on people convicted of crimes. We have those databases. It's really no different. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's right. So tell us, you're, you're working on a book now and tell us a little bit about that. I am. Um, back in 1986, um, young police officer in Baltimore City who um, worked in my neighboring district. Vince Adolfo was, was murdered while chasing a uh, car theft suspect. And that individual was had actually escaped Baltimore. And there was a manhunt for him. He was caught in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and sentenced to death after two trials in Baltimore City by, um, by juries. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is going to entail the life of um, that police officer, Vince Adolfo, his family, what they had to go through for 11 years until that, um, until that individual was put to death um, in, in Baltimore. So um, I, I wanted to write a book about the story uh, of that officer, his family, and then the judicial system and how he treated uh, that family, as well as the individual who was um, subsequently put to death. I, I was... Um, I was a witness, a public witness to that execution um, that happened in 1997, uh, about 11 years later. Yeah. And it's always stuck with me because, again, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, how deaths of fellow officers affect you. This one Mm -hmm. affected me and and our entire department because Vince was a young guy Mm -hmm. Um, and he was all of us. Right. You know, high school sweetheart, uh, recently married, um, just any love chasing bad guys. Yeah, which is yeah. what we did. You know, in your twenties, you know, I, I can't overstate it. You, you get in this job and you just want to you want to catch bad guys. Yeah, and that's yeah. what Vince did when he was murdered, and the changes that it led to our our police department, the improvements that his death led to, that have saved officers' lives. And um, I just think it's a real compelling story, and um, I'm real excited. I'm in the very early stages right now. Um, but I'm hoping to have something next year, March the 25th anniversary of the execution. And um, I think um, 
I'm going to have it on the shelves by next year. Now, Gary, you witnessed uh, an execution, which a lot of people uh, don't get to do. Um, what was that like? And did that stick with you? Yeah, it, 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 it has. I actually took um, Vince's, the police officer's widow. She was also a, a state's witness, which is amazing um, that we were able to, to get that to happen. Uh, it, the police chief in Baltimore at the time of Vince's death was a man named Bishop Robinson, mm-hmm. who at the time of the execution, 11 years later, was in charge of the Department of Public Safety, which had control over the witness list. So um, we were able to get Karen and myself in there as witnesses. And um, I was there mostly to support Karen um, because she she needed that. And um, it was a lethal injection execution. Um, he was he had the option and he did initially choose the gas chamber um, because he said he wanted to show a violent death and what the mm-hmm. death penalty was. Um, but the week before he decided it was going to be too violent. So he, um, he, he chose lethal injection. And so it has stuck with me, um, not in a negative way. You know, as a cop, I see death all the time, saw death all the time. Kids, parents, you name it. There's, there's dead people lying at your feet throughout your career. Um, none of them deserve to die. Not one of them whether they were a drug dealer or, or anybody deserved to die. Um, in my mind, uh, Flint Gregory Hunt, which was the guy's name, deserved to die for what he did. So um, in my mind, I was able to um, be okay with what I saw. And it's kind of interesting in terms of marketing uh, at, at anything with Baltimore in it, since the wire will be, uh, it, the people are just devouring Baltimore, anything written about Baltimore. Very interesting. Yeah, it's... um. You know, and just for, for both you guys, the interesting part is, and Jerry will know these names, that the state's attorney who had to make his decision to seek the death penalty was then became mayor, which was Kurt Smoke, who is mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. anti-death penalty. Well, he was about as uh, liberal a guy as you got in America. Yeah, I mean, Paris Clendenin, yeah. who was the governor, who yeah. had to deny the, the commutation request at the end, right? Who had right. the ability to stop it. Um, yeah is it now a complete opponent of the death penalty. Um, the judge, I'm sorry, the, the prosecutor um, became a judge um, and opposed the death penalty. And Maryland subsequently got rid of the death penalty, um, even though the governor that got rid of it said he supported it at one time. Um, but that's when he was running for election. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't change their mind, Jerry. They evolve. <laughs> You know, I, there was a great book, uh, <laughs> Gary. I don't know if you read it, Solitary by the guy that spent all the time in prison. He was in segregation so long. And he actually tracked down Johnny Cochran was calling for harsher penalties when he ran for DA. I think it was in Los Angeles. So there you go. I mean, that's the politics yeah. of policing. <laughs> yeah. But so to answer, to answer your question, yeah, it affects you. It doesn't, it doesn't leave you. But I saw what it did to this family, and I saw how this family mm-hmm. has healed. And if the purpose of the death penalty is to A, punish, and B, um, heal this family. Because, you know, in Maryland now, the life doesn't mean life. And now, after this legislation session, it doesn't look like life without parole will mean life without parole. It looks like that's going to mean 35 years. 
So, um, yeah, I, 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 this, the widow, man, Karen, she's been able to move on. She didn't move an inch forward for 11 years in life. Um, but she's now, she's been able to remarry. She's got two great kids. It's just, you know, the system, in my mind, and I know people feel differently, but in my mind, I hear the system more yeah, excellent for everybody. Good stuff. Gary, always great to have you. We could talk forever on the judicial system. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm uh, I'm not a fan and we could do eight series of episodes on them and maybe we will. But uh, thank you for being on and always wonderful to talk to you. We really appreciate it. Jared, it's great to talk with you and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's, it's kind of um it's healthy for me to be able to talk like this. Yeah, it's cathartic. Yeah, it's definitely (laughs) cathartic. So all the best to you, my friend. Take care. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, let's bring in our technical producer, Mr. Brad, maybe the Wizard of Pods. Fascinating interview with Gary. Always enjoy having him on because he really gives us a street level of what it's like to be a police officer. And um, I had dinner with my cousin uh, last night. He was on the force for 32 years, and he still keeps in touch with a lot of the guys on the street. And he says there's just a lot of discouragement out there on um in policing and um you know i think you and i had talked a week ago about priests and you know them getting broad brushed and how there were good priests out there and uh, i think there's a lot of good police officers out there um but um they're um they're all feeling it right now i i agree but i i mean i i'm i also see a, a very heavy other side of that coin and there's oh, a lot yeah, of no other doubt. cops that no, no doubt. and it's not just a couple of bad apples i think it's an overall gener- it's that fraternal brotherhood of the police and yes, the, yes. i've said this for a while now i firmly believe you know from the streets they have a, an expression uh, snitches get stitches oh, oh yeah. i believe yeah. that is a philosophy that came from yeah. the cops yeah no doubt yeah no and doubt. and that's something that you know i'm the defund the, the police thing was the dumbest thing i'd ever heard but i am yeah. all for reform yeah and you know listening to gary speak it's the kind of thing it makes you wonder what what is it going to be like to be a, a cop in America in thirty years? Right. If you go back right. thirty years, yeah, uh, is Rodney King? Yes, it was. And it you was. know, they were just they just beat Rodney King. Yeah, yeah. they killed George Floyd. Right. Are the cops going to get better or are the cops going to get worse as we move forward into the future? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with Frank Rizzo. So Frank Rizzo was in Philly. He was the police commissioner at the time and then became the mayor. And he was on the Tom Snyder show. He used to be a talk show. He kind of used to be the letterman before Letterman. Yeah. And uh, Rizzo said, I could invade Cuba with my police force and win. And he, <laughs> I mean, he had dogs. He had everything. And black residents were the ones he really targeted. And um, they just pulled his statue down outside city hall and threw it in a landfill because of his reputation um for targeting um, black residents I, I think and i think the first time we had gary on we talked about this and this was the need for training particularly racial sensitivity training i mean a lot of these officers are growing up segregated they're growing up in in a white world they have no idea about the black culture they have no idea um where people were coming from and interesting enough when we had phyllis alexander on she was saying 
you don't see stories about black officers beating up white off uh, white white uh, people. You don't see them, and the reason is because black officers give white people, and they've been taught this, the benefit of the doubt. And uh, that's, that's crazy. Training. That's yeah, just crazy. It is crazy, and that's the training um, that I think we need in the force. And I remember Gary saying, you know, they have to redo their gun. Uh, you know, instruction every year and they don't have to redo their racial sensitivity instruction. Nobody, nobody teaches you how to be a better officer, how to communicate uh, with uh, people that you come across. And um, as you say, I think that's where we got to go if we want to make American policing just, I mean, that's, that's the word we're looking for. Yeah. I uh, I couldn't agree more. I, well, let's it. Well, I'll, I'll, let's let's have this conversation in thirty years. And, <laughs> and see where yes, we're at. yes, we'll be in the old podcasters' nursing home, and I'll meet yeah. you at the lunch table. How's that? Right. So sounds good to me. All right, thank you, Brad. Thanks for your help, and thank you everyone for staying with us. I want to say a thank you to our executive producer Mike Gugat, Dave, our announcer, of course, my man Brad here, um, and our contributing voice talent uh john the one take terzis we will be back next week with a thrilling edition of the weekly retail politics podcast until then always remember to read beyond the headlines have a great week with the front row award-winning reporter gerard shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported not invented or twisted Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career, covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.